You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Good morning. Hey, it's good to have you here today. Let's begin with prayer. Lord God, we thank and praise you so much for your goodness and grace. Just the way, Lord Jesus, that you were around people, how you loved them, how you forgave them, how you welcomed them, how you ate with them, how you fellowshiped with them, how you wanted to be with them, how you rejoiced in it, and you, you partied with them. And we thank you for that, Lord Jesus. It shows just how much you really do love us. You want to be around us, and you want us. We thank you for that. We pray, Lord God, today that um, this message um, sinks in deeply to the core of our being so that we know We know you deeply, we know you more, and we can be known by you, broken and messed up and fumbling and stumbling along that we are. Lord God, we pray for all the churches in our area, the one church really, Lord, the one Christian church across the entire globe and in this community too in various expressions. And we thank you, Lord, for all our brothers and sisters elsewhere. And we pray your gospel word really gets into them and through them to others, Lord, in this community. We pray for our community. And we pray for our nation, Lord, that you bring your healing, your goodness, your grace. Um, to us in an amazing way and bring about renewal, Lord, in our hearts and lives and through us to others. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in week 11 of the Foundations series, the building blocks of our faith, and we are almost at the end. Next week is our last one. Oh, you know, but it's, we're going to end up really well, I think. It's on the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen, right? Amen. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Okay, yeah. Um, And um, I think it's going to be good. I know it's been a long series, and we usually don't go that long, but I think um, this one's going to be good um, today and next week as well. This whole creed is just so powerful, and we've talked about how um, it's our identity. It's who we are and what we are, and our allegiance is to that, and um, our encouragement to each other that we believe this together. And some days, I kind of struggle with believing all of it. I know you go like, what? Yeah, we all have struggles, and somebody else can believe with me. There I was a little spunky, right? Yeah, okay. So, um, but yeah, and um, we all struggle with this stuff, and we need the Holy Spirit. We need each other. We need to be in community. We need to gather together. And I think we're going to see the power of today, the forgiveness of sins in this story. Two stories that I think are really tied together by Mark, the writer of this gospel, very importantly. So we are in Mark chapter 2, and you can look up the sermon notes on the Bible app. You can check that out. But we're going to be in Mark 2, 1 through 7. It's a long passage, but you'll see why. 1 through 17. And when he, that's Jesus, returned to Capernaum, Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Wow. Great stories, right? Great stories. Jesus shows us, in the Gospel of Mark, he shows us by his actions, by his... You don't get a lot of teaching. If you had a red-letter Bible for the Gospel of Mark... There's not a lot of red letters. Red letters are the words of Jesus himself. You'll see a lot more in Matthew and in Luke and John, but in Mark, it's action, action, action. But his actions are speaking just what his words speak to. They all fit together. And what happens in the Gospel of Mark is like one thing after another. You go like, what? What is he doing? Why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? And you can see in this text that happens as well. So some of the questions you might have right up at the beginning... Already at this, it's like, so we're talking about the forgiveness of sins. And I know some objections to that might be, someone might say, forgiveness of sins? Like, really? Are we still back in the dark ages trying to make people feel guilty about their lives with some unrealistic expectations and rules that nobody can follow Really, doesn't the whole enterprise of guilt and forgiveness just keep people stuck where they are and they can't get out of it? Wouldn't a little psychotherapy go a lot farther than this whole idea of forgiveness of sins anyways? Isn't forgiveness just kind of a neurotic situation? People are over-concerned about that, so self-absorbed and always worried about the guilt and shame and all that stuff. And isn't it just, haven't we learned? Isn't it just obsolete? Shouldn't we? And who are you to tell me? I mean, what standards are you using? What rules are you using? And why are you, you know, I mean, in this day and age, how can you, t- who's to say what's right or wrong anymore anyways? Every. I know, that's covering a lot of ground. There's a lot of different questions with this whole thing. There's a lot of pushback. And it's true. In our society these days, there really is no consensus on what is right and wrong anymore. Not really, okay? And it isn't just now. Um, This has been going on in Western civilization for a while, and there's a man named Francis uh, Kafka. I don't know if any, any of you ever read his stuff. Okay, he wrote a book called The Trial. 
He also, he's wrote Metamorphosis is the one I knew about. Have you ever heard of Metamorphosis? It's where somebody wakes up, thinks he's a cockroach. <laughs> so he's weird, okay? I know, he's weird. <laughs> Maybe that's why I like him, I don't know. But in this, the trial, there's a man named Joseph K. That's all he's known by. So very simple, and I think he represents all of us. And one day he gets arrested, but he's never told what he's arrested for. He's never, he, through the whole story, he's kind of got this gray cloud of I'm guilty, I've done something wrong, I have no idea what it is. It haunts him all the way through. Now, this story is not simply weird and to bring this angst feeling to you, although this is Kafka. No, he tells us, Kafka tells us in his diary that he thinks this is the condition of modern man in our Western society now, where there are no, quote, rules of what's right and wrong, no set standard, and yet we know we're still guilty. We just can't put our finger on it. Everybody feels that in some way. They don't feel quite right. We're all kind of hmm, questioning ourselves, wondering what's going on, okay? So we all still feel like a failure at times. We still feel our inadequacy. We've got this sense of guilt and shame, but we just don't know why. Now, David Zoll, he's a Christian writer, and he wrote an article in Christianity Today um, about a month ago. I think for the January issue, it's 500 years after Luther, we still feel the pressure to be justified. And the, this is the 500th year of the Reformation, and he's questioning and he's asking the question if this teaching, what we're talking about today, which is justification or the forgiveness of sins, is actually relevant anymore. Are we beyond that? And his answer um, is, yeah, we need it. Boy, do we need it, okay? Um, it's actually, you have to, um, you can read a portion of this article before it gets to the point where you have to buy the article, okay? So if you don't have Christianity Today, you might want to, it's a great article. Maybe they'll let you read more of it later, but right now that's it. So he cites in this article the University of Pennsylvania study that they did, and uh, this is what he says. A few years ago, in response to a spate of suicides on its campus, the University of Pennsylvania put together a task force to explore the mental health of its students. What they found was tragic but sadly unsurprising, the pressures engendered by the perception that one has to be perfect in every academic, co-curricular, and social endeavor can lead to stress and in some cases distress, the task force report said. In turn, distress can manifest as demoralization, alienation, or conditions like anxiety or depression. For some students, mental illness can lead to suicide. And what he then writes after this is, the mercilessness described here hints at a tragic escalation of a phenomenon experienced not just by college students, but by everyone today. The pressure to perform, to make something of oneself, to become acceptable. In other words, to be justified, to prove ourselves are worthy, are are. are are okay, that we belong, that we fit in, that there's a reason for me to be here, that I should exist. I don't know if you've ever noticed it. Do you ever, like in our neighborhood, you know, you're walking down the street and somebody's in their car, they're going by, and what do they do? They wave, right? Why do we do that? Do you know what? Why do we do that? 
to be nice. Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) Well, I think that is part of it. We want to be validated, that we matter, that we actually exist, and to say hello or thank you or hi or we just wait. I don't know who this person is. I never see them, but we're still looking for like, I exist, I matter. That's part of it. Do you realize that? We're always doing that all the time. We need that. And David Zoll is saying, that's what's be. Guess what? Here's the truth about my life. I think your life as well. To be accepted is what I really am looking for time and again. And yet, I'll tell you, I've done many things that are totally unacceptable. No? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you don't even have to ask my wife or my kids, but I have done many things that I have no, I can't, I can't justify them that I've done that. I can try, you know, the blame game, the shift, the, well, you did this to me, or this happened, or, you know, I'm depraved because I was deprived as a child, but the truth is, no, I can't justify any of that. The only thing that's going to bring me to the point of being accepted and acceptable is, in the end, the forgiveness of sins. Because there's no way on my own with what I've said, what I've done, what I haven't done, how I am, how I'm going to always have that hanging over my head. Am I really good enough? Am I not good enough? Am I, you know, do I fit in? Do I not fit in? Can I belong? Can I not belong? We're always asking those questions. They're underneath the surface, but it's really tied into the forgiveness of sins. I really believe that. So forgiveness, we're going to talk about that today and why it's so vital, why it's so important. And I think what we're going to see in this story, at least this story shows us, that it, when it's fully understood, when it's actually realized, when it's lived out, like Jesus lived it out in these circumstances, it is shocking. Because it's not just a balancing of the scales, okay? It's not a, um, okay, we're just going to kind of tip the balance a little, I guess, good enough. You know, it's not a tit for tat. It's not a trying to make up for. Okay, well, I guess I can't. It is not any of those things. It is always an out of the blue divine miraculous event that occurs whenever it does. And it takes a power behind it that we don't have personally, but that God is able to give us. And Jesus displays it. So, It's going to be shocking. In this story, we're going to find out that in two ways it was shocking to two different groups, okay? First, it shocks the seekers of this healing for their friend. And then secondly, it shocks the religious leaders. And I think in the process, it's going to show how shocking it really is to us that this thing is real and wow, what a difference it makes. And I think through the three of these, we're going to get back to, again, clarity balance and belonging, and how, again and again, this creed with this emphasis does that. So the seekers of the healing. So when they brought their paralyzed friend, and we're not sure if there were just four of them, there could have been a crowd with the four of them carrying this guy on this mat, and they get to the house, it's so crowded, they have to break through the roof. I'm sure the homeowner's really happy, and they bring him and drop him in front of Jesus. I hope not drop, but drop him in front of Jesus. And the first words out of Jesus' mouth are, son, your sins are forgiven you. 
Now, can you imagine being one of those friends that took the time and the energy, did all of this stuff, for what purpose? To get a healing. And the first words are, what? I can see them thinking in their minds, okay, Jesus, that's nice. I guess forgiveness is a good thing. But anyone with two eyes in their head can see the most urgent need our friend has. And Jesus says, "Uh, no, that's not his most urgent need. His most urgent need, everyone's most urgent need, is to have a right relationship with their loving Heavenly Father and to know deep down they are connected and forgiven as a result of who their Father is. That's the most urgent need. There's no substitute. Oh, yeah, physical health, prosperity are all great things, and they are blessings from God, but they are not the most important. Now, do get this, right? In this story, Jesus does heal the man. He heals the man. Ultimately, he does. You will not find in in the Bible, now, some people have tried to make it that, but you will not find in the Bible where Jesus kind of talks about the immaterial spiritual, and that's the only important thing, and the physical and the body in this world is not. And so, oh, don't worry about that. Just think about the beyond when you finally escape all this dark material world. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. You'll find that in things like the Nag Hammadi scriptures, these Gnostic texts and others in the early church that, you know, Dan Brown thinks are the center of the universe. But no, it's not that Jesus. Jesus heals. Jesus feeds. Jesus cares. Jesus himself has a physical body. Jesus himself has physical needs. This world is good. This world, this creation is good. And we see that even Jesus is resurrected. Yes, his body is transformed, but he still has a resurrected, glorified physical body. So you'll never find that as the polar opposite or the thing to escape from in the Bible. But Jesus is saying there's something more important than even a physical healing. Now, I can hear some people say right now as an objection, well, you just don't realize, though, the seriousness of my sickness. It's killing me. It's wrecking my body. It's ruining my life. It is everything. I can't. Hey, I'll be all okay. If I get this done first, then I'll get on to, don't worry. Yeah, I think spiritual stuff's good. But man, this is the way it is. So I need this first. And I don't want to be, maybe I am coming across a little cold or calculated here. But even today, right now, in this service, if you were healed, and you no longer had that disease or that situation, even now, if you were healed, and it was no longer there, how long? You know, you get a few more years, but we all face struggles. We all face difficulties. We all face the ultimate realities that life is a struggle, and there are ups and downs, right? Even this paralytic man later on had other ailments that came, and if 
I use as the barometer of how much God loves me or who our God is in my life with how I am prospering or not so, or how healthy I am or not. If I'm using these circumstances of my life to determine who my God is and how much he loves me, man, am I going to be whipsawed back and forth and back and forth wondering about my relationship and my connection with God. But if I know fundamentally, foundationally, beyond all doubt, that I have a loving Heavenly Father, a good Father who gives me everything I need, who has loved me so much that He forgives me absolutely, completely, and freely, accepts me, wants me, calls me His very own. Then regardless of the circumstances in my life, I've got that confidence and that ability to handle it all. Okay? Now, some others might say, um, well, I'm not sick, but you're still kind of diminishing what I've gone through. When you say that the most important thing for me is the forgiveness of sins, I think you're not recognizing the fact that I'm not the one's sins that need... No, 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 no. Um, I'm the victim... I have been abused, I have been treated poorly, I have struggled throughout this life, and what's been done to me, I, and you talk to me that my most important thing is my forgiveness of my sins, I think that's a little insensitive to what I've gone through. I don't think it is. Here's why. If you have been wronged, really wronged, really hurt, and I understand there are some deep terrible things that have happened to people in this world and may have happened to you, um, what do you need most all? You need to be freed from bitterness and that deep desire to hold on to that. You need to be freed from that. You know what the definition of bitterness is? It's the poison we drink hoping the other person drops dead. (laughs) If you cannot forgive someone, no matter how deeply they've wronged you, then they've won. And you're still trapped in that cycle of looking for vengeance with your chip on your shoulder of, I'm morally superior to them, and you just can't let go. You're stuck. If you can't Forgive, you are trapped in that situation and it's still dominating your life. That's what always amazed me of the AME church in Charlton, South Carolina, and those members of that church. Um, Why am I forgetting his name? Maybe it's good I do. Dylan Roof? Yeah. From the beginning to the end, they showed such a Christian witness to say they forgave him, and he still goes through trial, he still faces the consequences, but they have forgiven him freely because they have been freely forgiven. The power that they showed to that Christian witness, to how he, he couldn't even look in their faces, he couldn't acknowledge them, but they still acknowledged him, and they still forgave him whether he accepted it or not and they were freed. 
So you'll never be able to freely forgive someone else if you don't have the power of forgiveness in your own life. If you haven't experienced that forgiveness yourself, if you haven't come to the terms of realizing your own sinfulness and the fact that I have been absolutely forgiven and freed, then you can forgive someone else. Otherwise, I just don't have it in me. I cannot do it, and I will still hold on to things, and I need to let go. But if you see yourself as forgiven, as loved, and an accepted sinner before God, and your Father loves you no matter what, then you finally have the power to forgive and be freed from that. So forgiveness, I believe, is still the most urgent thing that you need. It's the first healing, the most important one. Not the only, but the most important one. Now, the second group that got um, shocked by this all, as you see in the story, are the religious leaders. They talked among themselves and said, why does this man speak like this? Who can forgive sins but God along? He's blaspheming. What? Now, notice what they were really saying, because... You realize that the rabbis and the scribes, the Pharisees, all of them believed in the forgiveness of sins. It's all over the Hebrew scriptures. It's not like it's not there, but it's the way that Jesus forgave and how he did it that shocked them and said, no way, that is not the way you can do that. That's not the way it works. Um, There's a man named... um, Kenneth Bailey, who lived in the Middle East for 40 years, he was a Presbyterian minister and lived among the peasant people over there. And um, he really studied not only just the peasants in the Middle East throughout all of Palestine and Jordan and the Middle East in general, but he also studied historically all the rabbinic literature from the time of Jesus. And what he found is that forgiveness for the rabbinic literature of Jesus' day was always a conditional thing. And this is what he says in summary. It can be said that for the rabbis, repentance was a work that man did to earn God's favor. At times, man needed God's help. God had come to part, come, God had to come part of the way as man came the rest of the way. The work of repentance had to be sincere and accompanied by reparations for the sin, along with a determination to avoid all further sin. Repentance atone for sin. In other words, repentance itself became the conditional work that you had to do first before God would ever forgive you. And here, no wonder Jesus shocked the living daylights out of them because he forgives before the man repents. Do you see that? The man was helpless. He came. He couldn't even come. He had to have his friends bring him there. The man is speechless. He doesn't say a word. And Jesus forgives him outright first. Not only that, they understood. Jesus didn't say, may God forgive you. He said, your sins are forgiven you. He said it with such authority and in such a way that it did imply that, wait a minute, he's taking the place of God. Exactly. They got it right. They understood, but they did They couldn't believe God would do that. And yet you see in the Bible, throughout Jesus' whole ministry, forgiveness comes first and repentance comes second. Do you realize that? Look at Matthew. He's at the tax collector's booth at the Sea of Galilee. Jesus walks by and says, follow me. Notice Jesus doesn't say, Matthew, you... Sinner, you are a 
traitor to the nation. You're ripping people off. Get your act together. Stop this now. And I might consider you, if it's sincere enough, and once you've repaid all the debts to all the people that you have ripped off over the course of your life, I might accept you as a disciple. And then you'll be on probation. <laughs> we'll review it in six months to see if it's going okay. That's the way we do it. It's the way our system is set up. Not God. God just says, follow me. God just says, your sins are forgiven you. If God doesn't do it first, if Jesus is not initiating, if Jesus doesn't open the door to that relationship, it would have stayed closed. There is no way around it. And if Jesus doesn't forgive me before I repent, I will never have the power or the reason to repent. I am not saying that I don't need to receive it, accept it, want it in the end, but he offers it freely before I even repent. It is not conditioned on how well I do it or how often I do it, not at all. I want to make sure that you understand that. Do you get it? God loves you enough. Now, the rabbi said <laughs> repentance is the atoning thing for sin, and Jesus says, no, it's not. He becomes the atonement for sin. He takes it on himself. Now, I can hear people kind of um, go like, wait a minute. I don't know about this. If we forgive before they repent, isn't that going to lead to abuse? Don't we have to let, make sure that they won't sin anymore? Okay, who of you is not sinning anymore? <laughs> just, just, you know, if you are, great for you, because I don't even have to try. I just do yet. But um, so... Um, if it's ever based on me, I'm in trouble. If it's all based on God, oh, I can rest. I am celebrating, okay? So, but I can see people say, wait a minute, won't people flaunt it? Isn't it just going to become a license if God forgives and then I just can kind of do it? Then I don't know if you understand what repentance is. You don't see that Matthew keeps on collecting taxes after this point in time, Right? No. So I've waited up until this point. We've talked about many times the different isms that we um, are rejecting. I'm going to go through these quickly. And the, first of all, we're going to reject legalism. That is saying that we can, by our own actions, somehow please God or come halfway or like tipping the scales, I do enough good versus the bad that then God sees this and pushes his thumb on the scale to make it go farther and everything's finally forgiven as long as I've done something. I cannot please God by keeping the law. But at the same time, we are not saying, and this is an ism you may never have heard of, it's only in theology probably, antinomianism. Now, we live in an antinomianistic society where, hey, the rules, break them all, they don't matter, they're just in the way. But what it's basically saying among Christians is some say, hey, I'm free from any of those laws, I can do whatever I please. Okay? And we're not saying that at all either. The law has a place in our lives, but it's not a place of trying to get God to owe us anything or get God to listen to me more. None of that. It's just... It keeps reminding me again and again, 
as I still keep growing, how much I need Jesus, how much I'm not there, how much it keeps drawing me back to that gospel of grace again and again and again. So we don't throw the law out. The law is good. But we don't also live by the law. We live by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? So, here we are. The shocking word of the forgiveness of sins and the freedom that we have. I think what we see in this text and the way Jesus treated Matthew, the way he treated the other sinners and the tax collectors and this paralytic, it gives us clarity, belonging, and balance, right? First of all, belonging. We see in these stories, it's not just about the individual. There are communal applications to the forgiveness that Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors, right? There are total applications. We belong. Matthew was welcomed into that fellowship. And so, in fact, the New Testament people of God are never more authentic in the Scriptures than when they confess their sins to one another and forgive one another. It is the fake church, the legalistic church, the self-righteous church that hides all that stuff. It's the real church that allows us to be broken and messed up and making and fumbling the ball again and again. And we hear from each other forgiveness, acceptance, and grace. And let me tell you, in this world, that's what people need to hear more than anything else. That they are forgiven, they are accepted, and they belong. So belonging doesn't just happen here on Sunday mornings. It happens in our home huddles. It happens in TSM, our youth ministry. It happens at our campus ministry. It happens in our relationships all the time. And you want to know what it means to really belong and to understand the forgiveness of sins. You experience it in your relationships within the Christian fellowship. That's belonging. Secondly, on to balance. Some of you might here need to know that you are forgiven and that you do not. There is no sin that, you know, disqualifies you, okay? You might be haunted by an event. You might be still struggling with an experience even in the present. And I'm telling you, there is no sin too big that God cannot forgive it. And now you might be, wait, wait, wait a minute, I've read in the Bible something about the unforgivable sin. Anybody ever read that one? Okay. If you're worried about it, you haven't done it. Okay? Just put it that way. <laughs> the unforgivable sin is unforgivable, not because it's so huge and so big and God says, oh, I can't take it. It's too much. It's because the unforgivable sin is basically just saying, no, thanks, God. I don't need it. I'm good. So if you think you've done it, you haven't. Okay? There is no sin too big, no situation too ugly that God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ doesn't cover it. Now, on the other side, like we said, some of you might need to forgive someone. Forgiveness in the Bible, okay? You won't be free until you forgive others, okay? 
Now, it might be unnerving to think about it at this point in time. You can accept your forgiveness, but it's really hard to extend it to someone else. And I'm telling you, maybe those two go together. And Jesus says that again and again. And we want you to be totally free, to be balanced. Freely you have been given, freely give. Freely you've been forgiven, freely forgive. And clarity. And I think this is going to help with uh, balance and belonging, okay? And um, basically, forgiveness is not a thing we get beyond. Forgiveness is something we live every day. Matthew needed it every day. The paralytic needed it after he was healed. We all need it. It's not something we move on from. It's something we grow into. And forgiveness in the Bible is not simply just an invitation. It's also a command. Okay? Jesus calls forth his church to be that to one another. Okay? And to not forgive, to withhold it, well, then I think you're taking the place of someone that you don't have the right to take, and that's the place of God. You're just not good at it. I'm not good at it. I got to let it go again and again. So God forgives, you are forgiven. And you are empowered and called to forgive. And that gives us clarity, balance, and belonging. So, I'm going to be praying for us. And as I pray, um, you have an opportunity to respond to this offer of forgiveness. It's available to you in Jesus Christ. You can receive it with joy. And you can thank God that you are found in him new every day. Period. Now, if it's your first time and you're struggling like Matthew with trying to figure all this out, we'd love to come alongside of you. And uh, after service, you might be able to meet Phil or me, and we'd love to hear where you're at and what's going on and understand we're right there with you because we haven't moved on from this. We need it as much as anyone else, okay? So just let us know that as well. Let's pray. Father. I thank you for the forgiveness of sins for my own sins, how you plucked me out of the muck and mire of my own life, how you de keep doing that, and how you display it through my brothers and sisters here at Thrive. I pray, Lord, for everyone here today, even now as they might be wrestling with this teaching. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just empower them and give them the ability to receive and accept it to be honest with you, to be transparent and authentic with you and others, to let themselves be forgiven and loved. I know we all struggle to become clean uh, with you, Lord, to just let ourselves be who we really are and let you see us for who we are. Well, you see it anyways, Lord. Open our eyes to see what you see and to know what you know and to believe what you say over us. So Holy Spirit, break through. Do the work of grace and empower each one to respond right now to this offer of forgiveness. 
that we all leave this place as new creations, resting in you, letting go, and letting you be the one to call us, to welcome us. No matter where we are in the mess of our lives and the struggles that we face, the brokenness of our relationships, the temptations, the difficulties, Lord, no matter how in debt we are or how much we're still struggling, Lord, with bitterness or resentment or envy or jealousy or self-righteousness or haughtiness, Lord, we let all of that go so that you, well, that you can heal it all. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done through your cross and resurrection. In your dear name we pray, amen.